Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is 1-888-844-GROW. That's 1-888-844-4769. Long-distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by the founder and CEO of Autogration, Chad Dyke. Chad has a passion for leveraging automation and smart software integrations to help business owners remove bottlenecks and maximize efficiency to stop wasting time and focus on their true zone of genius. After 15 years with large corporations like IBM and American Express, he combined his background of technical and business experience to focus on helping businesses improve their marketing and operations through smart automation. Autogration is certified with Infusionsoft, ClickFunnels, Zapier, ManyChat, and well-versed in all the best software plus methods. No matter how big or small the client, in every single case, they have been able to identify several opportunities to make a substantial difference by implementing a few key solutions to help the business run more efficiently. So I've asked Chad to join us here today so we can all be a little bit more efficient and understand the technology possibilities uh, available to us now. So Chad, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? My pleasure. Thank you. I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. We just had this fantastic, like, hour-long conversation. The building I'm in is having this pet issue, and I have to sneak my pet out because now my girlfriend doesn't feel comfortable going out on her own. She might be harassed. And Chad is just such an amazing sport. He just kept – he interviewed me the last hour and was like, why are you here? What's going on with that? What about this? What about your mom? And it, we had this great conversation. I just really like this guy, and I think it's going to be a great call. So, Chad, why don't we start off with your origin story? Because clearly you are able to help businesses be more efficient and run better and increase their profits and bottom line. I mean, like the difference is Blockbuster versus Netflix, right? It's, Netflix is infinitely more profitable, infinitely smaller than Blockbuster ever was because of the use of smart automation and technology. But before we get into that stuff, how did you even get started in business? Like, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs or... No, I really don't. I was raised to do the standard, get your, your job, go to college, get a job, stay in that job, then retire. And that's what I thought I was supposed to do. So I went into college. I was interested in tech. So I, I got a computer science degree. It was still kind of novel. This was in the 90s. And uh, the, I started that path, started working corporate and working for IBM. And I was enjoying that, but something was missing. So I found myself dabbling. The web was new and exciting. So I started doing little side gigs, side hustle, web projects, web design, things like that. And that was way more exciting to me than doing my daily job. So then I thought, okay, business uh, is kind of where it's at. I want to get more into that. 
and I decided to get my MBA, which in hindsight wasn't really necessary, but it was still interesting for me. So I got uh, a little more well-rounded. And as it turned out, that did open some doors for me. So I, I was able to shift gears from being a programmer to being a what, what IBM called a solution architect, where I could take business problems from IBM clients, big ones like American Express, and and say, okay, this translate it from business needs into tech building requirements, and that was really exciting to me. That that was a lot more in line with what I wanted to do, and and I thought, okay, I'm on to something, but how can I take it to the next level? And eventually, one thing led to another, and now I'm doing it. You know, doing that kind of thing on a bigger scale for mm. myself. Mm, mm, mm. I love that. To translating business needs. Into, how did you say that again? Translating business needs into development how-to? Yeah, what? it's it's almost like two different languages, right? You've got the CEO or the, the business manager, and they say, we we have this problem in our business we need to solve. But but if they try to talk to the the IT guy or the software designer or any tech-type person, they're not going to – it's almost like they can't communicate with each other. So I was sort of the translator. I would take the and business so, requirements and and how and, is the language different? Like what? Like, if, do you have any tips for people that are in that situation? How how do developers think versus business owners, and how do business owners think versus tech people? Well, obviously, business is driven more by the bottom line, customer needs. Oftentimes, the tech guys are more driven by uh, what's a cool, sophisticated technical solution or what's the latest hot buzzword in technology and can we find a way to shoehorn it into the solution and sometimes Ooh. those needs the, they don't just they don't match up Ooh. and i mean it's it's not specific to just business and it it's it's any two groups with divergent interests you've got to find mm-hmm. a way to speak the common language mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i love that so so you left IBM and you started going out on your own. And how was it? Was it just sunshine and rainbows? You just hung out a shingle? And, and <laughs> no, because I, I didn't know what I was doing at first. I, I didn't know how to find jobs. I actually started on, you know, put my hung my shingle on Elance, which is now Upwork, and I was I was broke. <laughs> I was just mm. working for scraps, just whatever I could find because I was comp- I w- I wasn't differentiating myself. I was just mm sounding like all the guys who were charging uh, a tenth of what I needed to charge. Mm. And it took me, it took some time to figure out, okay, I'm not that I'm something different, which is a key thing that I learned. You've got to really identify your niche and then communicate that you're fulfilling a a unique need. You're not trying to be like everyone else. Mm. I love what you said. There was a unique need. Absolutely. Yeah, that's where it starts. I mean, and, and I've learned that much better now. You, you find the market need, and then you find a way to satisfy that need, you know, relieve those pain points. Yeah. And we see that all the time. Like, if you take a look at an ecosystem, like outside my house, there's a pond, and there's a bunch of different types of birds. And they're birds, and maybe that's your industry, maybe whatever you are, you're a dentist or whatever. And so there's birds, but there's some birds that eat insects, and there's some birds that eat fruits and berries or nuts. There's another set of birds that uh, eat fish that are in the pond. There's another bird that eats other birds. 
And so there's all these birds, but they've all niched in to find a way to survive. And I think that's kind exactly. of what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny I, that this came up. I was just revisiting an old classic business book. It's called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And it's a mm. quick, really, really basic read, but it's foundational. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a chapter in there I was just looking at where the law they address in that chapter is the law of the category. And they say, yeah, if you can't be the category. first in a category, create your own category, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. That's such a powerful concept. Oh, it's concept absolutely too. essential. Yeah. So what were some of the other challenges that you had and once you hung out your shingle? So you figured out, originally you were just on Elance, you're competing with people all over the world, you're, you know, you're, you're dealing with kind of, uh, price resistance, or you're dealing with price-sensitive buyers, maybe, might be a better way to put it. And so you figured out that you had to come up with your own unique approach, your own unique positioning in the market, your own unique category. I help these people, but I help them this way or this how or with this specific problem. Did that well, actually, even taking a, a step back uh, before I could do that, I had to really uh, self-identify what I wanted to be doing. So it wasn't just, you know, I I dabbled in software, I dabbled in marketing, but that wasn't quite right. It wasn't until I discovered I really love building automations for people that I found my sweet spot. And so then I stopped trying to, to do, you know, coding or web development jobs. I stopped trying to do just standard marketing kind of solutions. I partnered with people who were doing those kind of things and would be kind of going back to being the middleman. I, I would say, okay, here's, this is an automation. You have an opportunity to use. This is how it could be done. I may uh, have a hand in developing the solution or I may outsource it to, to more techie people who are going to do a better job. It just depends on the job. Hmm. And so at this point, what was the next step for you? How did you like, so you evolved in that part and then what was the next evolution or the next challenge you had to overcome? Yeah, then I had to find my market. I had to find the people who had the needs to be filled and, and stop just hanging out on Elance or Upwork waiting for mm-hmm. people to come to me. I had to start learning to market myself. And mm. the turning point for me was when I I found online groups and communities and I'd, I'd go and put myself out there and you know, become a, a true contributor, add value. And that was really key when I realized, okay, I've got to, I've got to lead with value. I've got to put something out there and show I've got something to offer to legitimize myself, to, to really show that I've got some expertise in this area. And then it just kind of came naturally from there. Mm, mm, mm. Lead with value. Can you describe that? Like, what does that mean? How, how do you do that? And I know a lot of people, like, they're afraid to tell away their secrets because they're like, what, you know, I tell them everything. What are they going to hire me for? Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, I felt that way at first, too. I mean, you hear conflicting advice on that. And, and I'd heard that you should be willing to share your best stuff, even. Uh, but it wasn't until I tried it and I saw it's not really an issue at all. So I would go and... I'd make a video and, and give a really detailed point by point, you know, this is how you solve this particular problem and maybe use these software tools or whatever. But uh, even though I'm spelling it all out, 
99% of people aren't going to want to go through all the effort to do that. Yeah. But they see that I know how to do it. And then they come to me and say, Hey, that's cool. Can you implement that for me? Right. And then they also see the effort required in it. And then that helps build value off it when they realize everything that goes into it, that to actually produce that end result, like the knowledge, the training, they like, Oh, I get it for me to go start from where I am now to get to where you are. That's a long journey. Okay, what does this cost? And now there's a deeper understanding. I love that. I love exactly. That. So what do you, would you recommend to people that are starting out or struggling right now? Well, I, I really am a big believer in doing some inner searching and, and find out what you want. Like, don't go, don't waste your time pursuing the, the latest thing that everyone else is doing just because you think you can make a quick buck. Find your passion first and, and take as long as you need to, because if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're not going to succeed, at least not long term. So it take whatever time you need to, to figure that out and then just take one step at a time and, and share, give value. And, and it kind of just snowballs once you start it out with a true passion, uh, something you're passionate about. I love that. I love that. Do you think people need an MBA to be successful in business? No, no, definitely not. I, I'm not. It's funny because I've got kids that are one uh, one in college and one about to start college. And I don't care if they go to college because mm. I think there are, there are plenty of other paths that you could take to add value and, and uh, you know, find a need, fill it. And you can make a good living that way. So I don't mm. think it's necessary. I don't regret it because you know, it's part of my, my journey and mm-hmm. I did learn some things and I met some people and, and, uh, it, it's part of my knowledge base, but it's not a necessary path. Mm-hmm. So did that help you circumvent issues? Did that help you improve your marketing? Did it? Did it yeah. Well, I, I think the main thing it did was just give me a, a broad, diverse way of looking at things. So I really have a deep understanding of how the business needs to operate and, and what drives a business. But I've got the, the IT background. I've got the, the bachelor's in computer science. So I understand the, the details and the you know, nuts and bolts required to put that solution together. So I, I think those two fit together really nicely. So now what do you feel are some of the greatest mistakes then? So now you're saying like what drives a business and what a business needs to operate. What, what are some of those things? Can you spell that out for some of the people here right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to be clear, you're asking what, what are some of the needs and challenges that I encounter that uh, businesses I work with need help with? Yeah, I just, in general, because you said that the MBA helps you understand what drives business and what you, what you need to, for a bit, or what, what is needed for a business to operate. So I'm wondering, like, yeah. what are those things, whether it's for your Okay, client, here, here's a prime example. And almost everyone, that I, at least the ones that I've worked with, have a problem in this area. And honestly, I could be doing better in this area. And that is, what kind of reporting are you doing? And is it really tracking your true KPIs, your key performance indicators? Most Ooh. businesses don't even have good tracking. They don't even know their numbers. 
They're just flying by the seat of their pants. And a lot of the ones that do have reporting in place, it's not meaningful because it's not, they're not tracking the things that drive their business. So that is so crucial. If, if every business would just take the time to get that dialed in, they could double their revenues like immediately. Yeah. But almost everyone gets it wrong. I'm not sure why. Well, it might just be a lack of information. Also, I think as entrepreneurs, we tend to be doers. And so we want to be the doing and it might not feel like work to sit back and look at charts. And, you know, I know sometimes I'll have a day of calls like this and I might close a ton of business, but I still don't feel Mm -hmm. like I did anything. I just hung out and talked to people all day because it's not, you know, (laughs) there's no effort or struggle. I don't know if this is my personality. This feels a little boastful, but it's like if I'm not grinding or struggling, I feel like I haven't, like it's too easy. That that wasn't a day of work. I didn't, there's no effort. (laughs) Right. And I think it might be. Right, right. Something like that. So this reminds me But in reality, there's there's probably a metric where, uh, you know, X number of calls that you have with people will produce 10X in income. And then that would be more satisfying every time you pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of a quote that a mentor of mine once said where he said, Daryl, you need to delegate as much as you can so you're calling the shots, analyzing the stats, and copywriting or selling or doing mm-hmm. helping with the marketing. And I think that that's a really powerful statement. So the reporting. So how, what kind of reporting do you need in a business? Well, it depends on what kind of business, of course, but I'm, I mostly have been working with marketers, entrepreneurs, and obviously in that case, you've got to track the things that are driving the sales. So, you know, it, it goes, starts with the sale and then work your way back up the funnel, figure out your conversion rate, you know, wh- wherever your different ad channels are, what kind of key metrics are important there, whether if, if you're doing pay-per-click, what's the price per click and then the click-through rate, or if it's organic, you know, how many eyeballs are on the page or the blog or the video. And there's, there are metrics for just about everything now, and they're easily attainable. Google Analytics alone is a super powerful tool, and it's free. So we should all be using that at least. And just capture those metrics, and just even if you're not sure what to track, just start with that and look, mm-hmm. see if you can follow it down the funnel and, and see what's happening and you'll see trends and then you'll be able to identify your KPIs from there. Now, I love that. And I especially like you just start tracking everything, track anything and everything you can. And in the beginning, you'll start to, you'll start to figure out what moves the needle and then you'll just narrow down to those. But you can't just start. At, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you might be missing. Now, let me ask you, though, what about data integrity? Because you can track a lot of things, but how do you – is that an issue that you ever have? Do you ever have that issue of maintaining da- data integrity or the, the track, right? Like, well, that, that is – yeah, I, I think I know what you're asking, and, and that is actually an area that people get tripped up on commonly. And, and so it would be something like if you're using two or three pieces of software in your – sales funnel, for example, and you are not familiar with how to integrate the pixel. Say you're using Facebook for ads and you don't know how to put that pixel on the right pages, well, then it's not going to track correctly for you. So some of the best money you could spend would be to hire someone who knows how to configure your pixels correctly and maybe set up a basic report. It's not going to be expensive and 
and save you so much hassle in either not getting the information or tracking the wrong information in the wrong way. Uh, so it's a really easy hurdle to get over. If you're not sure, if you're not totally confident in how to set up your pixels, then just find someone who can do that for you. Oh. So let's reiterate this because this is a painful lesson I've had to learn a couple of times over. And I'm actually really grateful you're mentioning this right now because I'm looking at a software tool that I haven't bought because I'm like, I don't really need it yet, but really I, I probably should have already bought it. Spend Some of the best money you can spend is getting your tracking set up and having an expert make sure that it's functioning properly and reporting properly. Is that accurate? Absolutely, yeah. Got it. Yeah, there are plenty of experts out there who can do Google Analytics or Facebook pixel configuration, and it's not rocket science, but just having an expert to know that they're doing it right just gives you peace of mind unless you focus on your business. So are there any, like, so let's say you mentioned sales funnels. I know that you're certified with ClickFunnels. So do you recommend people use ClickFunnels? you recommend, is there anything like, do you recommend people use the native systems they, the data is hosted in, or do you recommend they bring it out into some sort of third-party dashboard? You know, it's, it's funny you ask that because just in the past couple months, I've really been kind of into creating some custom dashboards just because it's come up organically. I've had clients who the tools available didn't produce quite what they needed, so I, I just kind of put together a, a custom dashboard for them. I don't think that's for everyone, but I can say what I've learned through this experience is you'd be surprised how easy it is to do and how cheap to just get a developer, tell them what you need, and clearly define your requirements, and they'll whip up a, a beautiful, interactive, dynamic dashboard report for you. So it is an option for people, but I think almost everyone can get by with just standard Google Analytics, Facebook reporting type reports. Mm. Got it. So if you have an online business, or maybe even an offline business, because you can use Google Analytics with offline events like phone calls too, can't you? Yeah, that's a little trickier to set up, but if you're using a software for calling that supports that, then absolutely. Got it. Okay, so so you can use Google Analytics, and Google Analytics is super powerful because if for some of the people listening to this, like again, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, and if you can't manage it, you can't grow it. So it's really important yeah. to be able to measure because when something you do something often enough, and if, you know when you do something often enough, a pattern emerges, and so do trends. And if you can see those, it's incredibly powerful to be able to tell whether you're trying to track how many sales reps you have and what kind of calls seem to close better than others or which script is working better or what time of day people are – like, it, it's the whole, like, data is – big data is the big thing now. Data is the most valuable it's, – it's more valuable than oil. That's the whole Cambridge Analytica thing with Facebook data. You know, <laughs> right. The, the privacy thing because the data is so powerful because you can – if you know how to work and mine data properly – you can find some incredibly important leverage points for whatever your goal is. It can be persuading votes for, for, for an election. It can be generating sales or leads from a list. It can be creating repeat buyers. That's why it's just you just have to track it. And if you're not tracking it, there's no data, there's no record. You can't go back in hindsight. Even if you're tracking it now and you don't look at it, you know, it, you can still go look at it later. And hindsight might be 2020. You'd be like, oh no, but it, you know, it'll allow you to adjust and pivot moving forward. I think the reporting, the, the talking about the reporting is a great one because a lot of us are in our so busy in our businesses, we're not working on them. And oh, so true. That, 
that's such a cliche term too, right? Like everyone's heard that, work on your business. But what does that really mean? Well, when you look up entrepreneur in a dictionary, it says a person who organizes a business or businesses. It doesn't say the person mm-hmm. who answers the phone, you know, takes the order, sends out the invoice, does the bookkeeping, mops the floor, cleans the toilet, delivers the service. That's not what it says. So the person who organizes it. And that's where, as a business owner, you as one person are not scalable. So you have to begin with the end in mind. And I love using the rule of 10,000. How would you handle 10,000 leads? How would you close 10,000 sales? How would you fulfill 10,000 orders? How would you? And then you start thinking in terms of 10,000, it changes your mindset and your approach because if I'm baking a pie to feed five people, if I'm baking pies to feed five people, it's very different in terms of what I need for equipment set up and even like the like think of McDonald's, the assembly line process of cooking the food compared to if I'm cooking for 50 or 500 people or 5,000 people. And so if you begin with the end in mind, your businesses, a lot of people are like, oh, if I just had Oprah mention my product, I'd be, you know, great. No, you wouldn't because the infrastructure of your business can collapse on itself. And they actually call that the Oprah effect. I've said this before, but Oprah used to have a team of people that would go out and investigate and do an audit on a business before she was uh, able to mention it or feature it on her show. Even if it was just like, oh, I stopped at my favorite bakery and got these little cookies. They make these little cookies. I love them because they found out after, unfortunately, half enough times that it would kill businesses because Oprah would do that. She'd be like, oh, I have this little bakery in the corner of whatever. Oh, I love these. You got these oh, little things. No. Great. And then like 10,000 people go storm the bakery. It's just like a two-person, three-person, five-person operation. <laughs> and they just get slammed with orders. And then all the negative reviews start building up online because people are like, hey, I got my order and the eyes weren't perfectly shaped. And, you know, and this cookie tasted yeah. nice. They're just they're trying to keep up with the pace. And that's where I think like what you're saying, if you don't have the reporting in place, you might have a team that's doing, and they might be doing really well. But if you don't have that reporting in place, it's hard for you to know what success looks like if you have to train and hire new people or if you have to scale. And, again, if you're going to sell yourself to, if, to be acquired, you, it, it's so much more powerful if you have the data and the analytics. and like. Oh, it's essential, data. yeah. And the so, thing that I love, when you've got the reports in place, you can clearly identify bottlenecks. And sometimes mm. the bottleneck is, is a dead simple fix. You know, you yeah. make one little tweak and all of a sudden things just flow so much better. Your revenues go way up and you didn't have to do much of anything. Yep. Yep. That actually, I have a perfect example for that. A friend of mine, his company, they just did 29 million now in the last kind of 18 to 20 months. And for them, what was, they were already doing okay, but what allowed them to grow a multiple of what they were was that he figured out that he uses phone sales teams and he figured out that the bottleneck for them was actually connecting with the leads, that they would call people and they wouldn't be there, and it would take them a long time to call. So they enacted a three-call policy, which means day one of the lead, you call the lead three times. Day two of the lead, you call the lead three times. Day three to 15, you call once a day. And that little adjustment, compare everything else was set up. There's no magic bullet, so I don't want people thinking like, oh, i got to call my lead three times. But for them... <laughs> That was the bottleneck. The bottleneck was not that they weren't right. generating enough leads and not that they weren't closing enough of the clients. They can always close more, but those numbers were accurate. The bottleneck was we're generating all these leads, but we're not getting enough of them on the actual phone. So now they do the three call. And it's not three call like I call you morning, lunch, at night. It's I call, you don't answer. I call you back, you don't answer. I call you back again and leave a voicemail. Because that's where it's the urgent. Like you, 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 know, you ignore the phone. What is it? Oh, maybe it's important. Right? And then they answer. Right. It. And that's, that was, a, for them, like you said, that was a really simple, I mean, how hard is that to dial the phone number again twice? 
that that became the policy yeah. to reach, you know. Oh, yeah. There's uh, so many simple things it could be. I'm thinking of an example. I just was recently working with a pretty high-profile client. He's super smart guy. He's helped a lot of people. But I was looking at his email campaign reports, which he had never really looked at. They're an active campaign, so he hadn't really set it up, but it, it was there. And I, I looked at this one campaign that he had run six months prior and then had turned it off. And I said, why did you turn off this campaign? It was by far your most successful campaign that you've run. And he said, oh, really? I didn't know. <laughs> and he was running one, a campaign that replaced it that was, that was performing at half the rate. And he just didn't know. You know he was just kind of going from the gut. And once I identified that, he obviously put that back into play. And he didn't have to create anything. It was already sitting there, this asset just going unused. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because I've had instances where, like, I've doubled the business before. The business myth, say, for one example was they had a $7 webinar that they were doing. And the webinar did provide value. It was educational, but there was also an offer in it. And all I did was split test the opt-in page for the webinar, and I got twice mm-hmm. as many people to register. But in a different scenario with a different client, we did an opt-in for them on a different sales funnel, and they had they they the winning opt-in page converted 20% more visitors to leads. So remember, this is so one example. We did a split test, and we got twice as many people leads that visited the twice as many people visited the, the page, paid seven dollars, and became leads, and then went on. And that followed through, where the doubling of the opt-ins or the purchase of the seven dollar webinar created double the sales on the back end as well. But then in a different mm-hmm. client, they had a free webinar, and we did two split tests of the opt-in pages. And one opt-in page got 20% more people to opt in. So right away, they're like, oh, let's kill that first one. But then I dug deeper into the data, just like you said, and it got 20% more opt-ins, but half as many sales. Half. Mm -hmm. And there was over 1,000 leads that went into each of these. So it was pretty conclusive, the results. And so it's like the other one got fewer leads, but twice the sales. It's not that the one got 20% more leads and only 50% of those leads bought. No, no, no. It's like page one, the original, got, for example, 10 sales out of, I don't know, we'll say 100 leads. And page two got 120 leads but only gets five sales. Which is, And if they had just shut everything off and gone with that, they would have been working so much harder for half the result. And no, no other change to the business. No other change. Just a couple of websites. Yeah, exactly. That's why you have to so know your KPIs. Sales right. matter more than conversions or clicks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, That's yeah. the bottom line. So it sounds like, like you said, start with sales and work backwards. Are there any other key things that you know that, generally speaking, anybody listening to this call needs to be able to track? Well, it, it's a kind of shifting gears a little bit, not just focusing on the metrics, but also do do kind of a self-assessment and think about, right, what are you spending in your say 40, 60, 80 hours a week, whatever, however much you work, break down the hours and think about where you're spending your time. And then how much of that time are you working in your areas of strength or or your zone of genius, as a lot of people like to call it. And if you have a high percentage of hours that you're spending time outside of those core strength areas, then that's a key opportunity to outsource. And and again, that's such a low-hanging fruit, getting someone else often, you know, their, their pay grades lower than yours, almost always. And they're going to generate results and let you focus on what you do best. That's a that. super common one with entrepreneurs. I struggled with that myself for a long time. 
I love that. I love that. I love that. That comes from if you want to make $1,000 an hour, don't do $10 an hour work. And so what you're saying is right. get a time tracker. There's tons of apps for your phone. I think it's built into the OS for Apple now as well, but you can get apps for your phone and productivity trackers, time trackers for your computer, and just let them run. Just let them run for a week, a month, and then go back mm -hmm. and see, you know. And if you don't plan your day, plan your day. That's something I, I love. I've actually had this big book in front of me. It's huge. It's this massive book my girlfriend got to me. It's a day planner. And what I love, it's just, it's just, uh, there's no calendar. Like, there's no, well, there's a mini calendar, but I have calendar, Google Calendar. This is just uh, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., just lines. And I, you know, you plan your day, and at the end of the day, you see what really happens. And now it's that effective use of time. I just love that. It's, a lot of it is maybe you're just not as productive as you think it is. Maybe you sit down and you're like, I'm going to work. And that's part of what got me using Pomodoros. Are you familiar with the Pomodoro technique? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love it. It really well, helps. Why don't you explain it? How do, how do you use it? Well, I, I actually have an app that's based off the Pomodoro technique. I'll have to, I won't bother pulling it up right now. I can't remember the name of it. But uh, the core concept of Pomodoro is you, you work in 25-minute increments, but not anymore because you start to lose efficiency. It degrades pretty quickly after that. So if you're trying to slog for four hours straight, you're not nearly as productive as you think you are. But if you give you if you allow yourself breaks to recharge and rejuvenate in between, you're way more productive. That's mm. that's how I understand the core yeah. concept. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Twenty five minutes of work, five or ten minute break, and twenty five minutes of work. So now, when I plan my day, I try and think of what are my top three things. My day. This is this is your interview, but for me, no, when no. Wake up, First thing we do in the morning is we have this little good morning routine. So we say good morning, and then dog jumps on the bed if she's not on the bed already. We have like a big family cuddle, me, my girlfriend, our daughter, our dog. And then we all come up with three things we're grateful for and three goals for the day. <clears throat> and then with those three goals for the day, I turn those into like what are the to-do items. If they're kind of project-y because I'm bad at that, I'm like, I will build the great wall. Like that's my, my thing to get done today. And then they sit down like, well, the next step is this. And then – you know, and I try to come up with no more than five or six things, and then I try to assign how many palms do I want to dedicate to each of these today. And so it's not about being busy. It's about being productive. And it's still a struggle. Like, it sounds all great. Like, wow, that sounds so organized. It's still a struggle. I still start a palm, and then I realize, oh, i got five minutes left, and I haven't even done the thing yet. But you still get more done through that organization, that effort, than without it. And so now when I say I have my planner, it's like, all right, I need to three palms for this, two palms for that, one palm for this, and if I can – two or three more palms of that. I think it's actually really difficult to have three, four hours of focused work done in a day. And so if you can get, you know, three hours, or three, four hours of focused work, you will surprise yourself how productive you are and how much you just chew through tasks. Some people may be listening to this and think, I don't need that. My girlfriend's like that. She just is, it's, I don't know. She was, went to an elite school. She's like one out of like 30 people in her family that applied that actually made it. And apparently there's, this university is really prestigious. I just don't get it. She just does op was wired differently. She'll like shut everything off and go to sleep like a cat. Like I just I can't do that. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> she, she'll like finish a call. I'll be like, hey, time for bed. And like I'm still just trying to crawl under the covers. I don't. But for those that are like me and Chad here, I think the Pomodoro technique is a great one to help you make sure you make meaningful and and like you said, like are you being as effective with your time? And that's something maybe you'll do on and off. You'll do it for a bit. You know, then you'll stop. You'll, you know, you kind of come back. Yeah, that. yeah, that's true. Well, I, I think uh, for those who are just trying to put their toe in the water, try it out. 
you might try this app that I'm using. It's a great tool to kind of gamify the whole technique because they mm -hmm. celebrate when you get it done. And if you miss one or if you stop, you know, don't take your break, then they kind of scold you. They're very tongue in cheek. But this app is called Productivity Challenge Timer, at least for Android. I don't know if it's on Apple as well. But yeah, it's cool. been a lot of fun for me. You know, you, you've got a cheerleader there basically saying, hey, keep going. Keep doing your next palm. Yeah, I love that. There's one, I forget what it was. I, I actually just use, it's a, for me, I use a, a tomato-timer.com. It's a website, too. So there's a website. I've used that. I, yeah, that's yeah. super easy. It's fine. They're, they're all fine. Everyone can, there's one that I think you plant trees. You plant a tree, and then it grows <laughs> in 25 minutes, but if you, if you interrupt or you use your phone, it kills your tree. Oh, I love that. <laughs> there are probably 100 different variations. Yeah, but it's the same idea, right? So, oh yeah. So, what is another pillar of success? Do you feel like personal time management, properly reporting activities in the business? What else? Well, you know, maybe I'm a little biased in this, but get familiar. And it may not be. It, this doesn't have to be you necessarily figuring this out, but be aware of the tools available to you. Don't go crazy. You don't want to get into the shiny object syndrome. But, but be aware because there often is a good tool that will solve your problem or do something more efficiently for you or perhaps automate something that you're spending two hours a day doing and put those tools to use for you. There has never been a time where we have more options avail available to us, and I know it can be overwhelming, but some of these tools can really impact your business and make a difference if they're implemented correctly. Hmm. Do you have any examples of simple automation that has powerful outcomes for your clients? Well, one that I, I see so frequently is people are not, you know, we're talking marketing. So almost every form of marketing involves some stage of capturing leads, but people aren't doing anything. They're not managing their leads. So they're getting the leads, maybe responding, but they don't have any back end. CRM or way to manage or keep track of what they're doing with those leads. You know, the better businesses obviously do have something, but so many people have nothing on the back end. So the leads just sort of fall through the cracks. Maybe they get thrown into an email list or something, but six months later, you have no idea what a given customer has, what emails they've seen or, or what conversations have been had. Mm. And if you can just get a handle on, on that kind of stuff, just almost any CRM would do. It's Any CRM is better than none at all. So I highly recommend you have something on the back end to organize your, your leads or your customers as they come in. Mm -hmm. And for anyone that thinks that they already do that, then you can always level it up and do something more sophisticated where you're trying to track uh, like decay count, decay timers. So how many people have opened an email in six months and three months and Six days, 90 days, how many people have clicked in six months, you know, that sort of thing. Because the idea is, like what you said, like they get a lead and they maybe follow up in the short term, but if you don't stay in touch with that person, it's almost like if you, you know, meet someone, you go on a series of dates, you consider yourself dating with them, and then you don't talk or communicate or hear from each other for a year, you know, are they really still a lead? Like, you know that yeah. they're interested once upon a time. Do you know what I mean? Like if you met a girl and you went on five dates, you're like, oh, yeah, we're kind of dating. And then you didn't call her or hear from her for a year. And then you see her at dinner with somebody else and you get mad. 
you know, well, she's not your date anymore. So there's a, the timing between, the difference between salad and garbage is timing. And so that's part of, I think, what you're speaking to. You can maintain the integrity of a lead. In the beginning, I think they say, like, you know, a lead loses, uh, like, 10% of its quality every day that passes. So if someone shows interest today, tomorrow they're only 90% as interested as they were today, and the next day they're only 80% as interested. And it kind of peters out somewhere maybe around 30%-ish. I mean, they could drop off, totally bottom out. But you can maintain a level of interest with them if you just have a strategy for staying in touch and following up and trying to keep Absolutely. people from falling off. And in some yep. ways, business is a popularity contest. How many people, how many leads can you talk to at one time and maintain good relationships with? How many customers can you maintain? You know, Drayton Bird's got this great quote from his book. Um, sorry. He's got this great quote in his book. I forget the title of it, but it's like, the purpose of business is locate a prospect, turn that prospect into a customer, and then make that customer your friend. Oh, so true. Yeah, people forget that. Uh, it's, it's about making a relationship. If you're doing it right, it should mm. feel very natural. And it's mm. not ploys to, you know, you're not dangling a 50% off coupon every six months to try to keep them coming back. They're sticking around because they believe in what you, you your principles, the foundation of your business, and they feel like they know you. Mm -hmm. You've established a relationship. That's when you keep your customers for life. Yeah, and people might say, "Well, my business is different," but I, I would argue with that. Like, as a gas station, there was a gas station you went to where the attendant filled up. It was full service. They filled up your tank, they washed your window, all that sort of stuff, and they got to know you a little bit. And they saw you had kids and stuff, and they had like a little, like almost like McDonald's, a little toy for the kids, that sort of thing. You would go there even if they were charging a couple of cents more than the guy across the street. Oh, for you know, sure. Like, trust them, right? Like there is that kind of loyalty. They're your friend. You want to see him. You had a stressful day. You want to chit chat for a minute. Like relationships mm -hmm. needs in anything, even very B two B, like corporate or even committee type decision stuff. It's still people with people. It's still people with people. And if you were a friend, like right now, everyone listening to this should think about you know either someone that you know has the power to wave a, a wand and radically change your business. We mentioned Oprah before. Oprah could wave her wand and feature in your magazine and all that stuff, and it would radically change your business, okay, or whoever. There's some politician or there's a committee somewhere at a university or who knows what, this guy at this company. But now, okay, now if you guys were best friends, how much easier would it be to get them to wave that wand versus where your relationship is at with them now? And we all don't want to believe in favoritism, that, but it's just true. It's just, it's just a part of it, like, it's, you know, even if you don't have an ethical bone in your body, even if you're secret <laughs> money hoarding, I'm in it for myself person on the anything except being fully committed to the success of the people you interact with on a daily day basis is going to shoot yourself in the foot with all your own personal goals. Even if you don't have an Absolutely. ethical bone in your body, you're limiting your full potential by not being more invested and more caring about the people around you. It's just a weird thing. It's just a weird thing, and that's the way it works. That is so true. And, and the side effect, in addition to obviously having happy customers who stick around for life, but staying on top of that stuff, like your email list or your, your bot list, it's, it's essential nowadays just for list hygiene. So someone who you haven't been talking to properly for six months, and then you send them an email, well, they're going to mark your email as spam. Then guess what? Your delivered deliverability goes down the toilet. You've got to keep the, the list hygiene up and the people who are no longer responding, you've got to let them go. And then mm. your deliverability stays nice and high where you want it. Mm. I love that. Yep. I think that's really important. 
I think that's super important. And with the people that stop responding, they might not be fully gone. As long as it's still around, which might disappear at some time, uh, you can upload the people that have stopped responding and just point your ads at them. And you got to get them back in at the beginning. That's a great strategy. Yeah, I think there's always value in the list. You just have to be aware of how you should best utilize it. So uploading yeah. cold leads back into Facebook, create a, a group out of that and target them. That's a great yeah. tactic. Yeah, and that's also why you should constantly be collecting data on your clients and customers and, and don't ask for the same data that you already have. So if you already have their name and email, then maybe try and get a phone number next time or maybe try and get a mailing address. Because now if they opt out from your email, okay, well, maybe they just don't like their email box. Maybe they're one of these inbox zero people, and they just don't want to be bothered other than what's immediately important to them. But they still know you, like you, trust you. And so if you sent them a text message or a postcard, you know, or like we said, like, you know, you've got a bot. Maybe they're on your bot list, but they don't want to be on the email. Maybe they want to be in the email list, but not your bot list. Maybe they're okay to get mail, in the, right, in the mail, because they know if you're going to mail them, it will be something meaningful and important. But emails are just so free and easy to cheat, you know what I mean? And it's it's, you know, yeah. just want to keep their inbox. Like there's so many different points that where multi-channel marketing kind of fits into this, where it's really about the people more than it is the specific channel and all that, which is why you have to track to see what's working because then you, you just have to have that. You have to be able to step back and look at the business as a whole, which you can't do if you're not in a position where you can delegate, where you can analyze the, sh the stats, the reports, and if you can't focus on how do we communicate better, how do we, you know, keep our numbers up, how do we expand on this, I think that's really, really, really important. Absolutely. So, Chad, what are some of the habits that you feel have helped you and some of your more successful clients? Like, we talked a little bit about some, but what are, the, are there any, like, day-to-day -day habits or quarterly habits that you think are really important? Uh, well, you know, we've, we've talked about some of them, both business-wise and personal, uh, with the Pomodoro technique and stuff. But an essential one that it seems so, so basic, but it, it just has to be done, and that's have you know, whatever your method is, whatever your timing is. For me, I like to, at the end of my day, take a, an inventory and think, okay, what did I get done? Celebrate that. And then think, what are my priorities for tomorrow? And I can't stress enough what a difference that makes. So the, in the morning, I don't have to stop and think. I don't have to open up my email or my Facebook and get lost in that. I just look at my list and say, okay, what's number one? And I can dive into it before the distractions are coming and before I lose my focus. That mm. simple thing is so powerful. Mm -hmm. I can attest to that. And it's a, I fall on and off with it. You just reaffirm my commitment to doing that because it is. <laughs> All right. If you keep a continuous thread, it's almost like you're maintaining a stream of consciousness. Like, hey, I finished my work day before I go watch a movie or go relax or go for a walk or whatever you, your, your thing is, sauna, gym, whatever. You know, before I go do that stuff, what are the things I need to start doing tomorrow to continue the stream, this progress? And I think that's really, really powerful. Do you find trouble doing that or how do you make sure that you get it done every day? It was really hard at first because you're often at the end of the day, and that's why you might want, want to experiment with timing and stuff, but for me, that's what works. But it, it was tricky when you get to the end of the day and you're worn out and you, you're wanting to just go eat dinner or do whatever. But if I just take even five minutes to do a, a quick job of it, it makes, I've just learned from experience that that five minutes uh, is going to save me at least 50 minutes the next day. Mm. And, and then it eventually became a habit. So then it's, it's no longer a struggle. But I, love that. I just appealed to my logical side to 
power through early on. Mm, mm, mm. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm going to reaffirm my commitment to getting back on that because I did do it for a time, but like you said, it, it kind of comes and goes. So now we talked about some of the mistakes you see clients and entrepreneurs making. We talked about the habits. talked about some of the challenges that you had. Where do you feel the future of all this is going? Where do you think things will be in five years? Do you, like, is things going to change? Are things going to revert and become anti-technology? Are we going to just dive in deeper? What are some? Is there anything that you recommend we keep our eyes on? Yeah, I, I'm definitely seeing something, and I think it'll have an impact on all of us. And that is, things are becoming more and more open and interconnected. So think about now versus ten years ago. Now. Almost all software, all decent software has an API that can be used to connect to other software. Almost everything integrates with Zapier, which interconnects everything. And that was unheard of five, 10 years ago. In 10 more years, it's just going to be automatic. You know, we'll be able to hook any two or three pieces of software together and see a big picture view of the data that they all share. And it's going to transform the way we do do business. I don't think there'll be as much uh, stronghold by a few strong, big players. There's going to be a lot more smaller. Uh, you may have 10 different products, but it feels like one because they play so well together. I think we're going to see a lot more aggregation of data and, and tools working seamlessly together. And I, I can't wait. Mm, mm, mm. I love that. I think that's amazing too. Cause that's, yeah. Having too many different tools in too many different places is just frustrating. And, you know, you have your data in this one, but how do you get – when we talked about that, setting up the dashboard, like how do you like, – that becomes overwhelming for non-techie people. Like I use these five tools, but how do I get the data out of all of them? Sounds like, like you're saying, especially with Zapier, it's becoming more and more and more easier. Oh, yeah. It's really – that's been a game changer. I love Zapier. Um, one other thing, just a word of caution kind of, you know, everyone, it's its almost played out a little bit, but everyone's been super hyped the last couple of years about Messenger bots. And it's, it is super effective, and the open rates are way better than email. But marketers have just about killed it, I <laughs> get, from misusing it as a broadcast tool. It's not meant to be a broadcast tool, and Facebook's already been clamping down on it pretty heavily. So we're going to definitely see more change there, more restrictions on what we can do. So mm. I urge everyone to not think of it as a broadcast tool, but think of it as a, a communication tool as it was originally intended. That should be used for building relationships and having conversations, not for blasting out your latest promotion. Mm. You can throw that in once in a while. If, you're, if you've established the relationship and you, you know every fifth message might be an ad or an offer, that'll feel okay and organic. But if you're just using it to, to send your, you know, every day or every couple of days, your latest offer, it's just going to lose its effectiveness. Yeah. It's funny. Cause when you said that, as soon as you said that, I had two companies popped in mind that are constantly just showing up in my inbox and I, I get on everybody's list. That's a problem. I've got an email inbox with over a hundred <laughs> thousand. Yeah, but uh, it's because I want to see what people are doing, and it's you know it's free. You can go learn about it in school, or you can just watch what people are doing over time. So that's part of the whole collecting data part. <laughs> Collected over a hundred thousand emails in my inbox, but I think that that's really important. And I think another thing to note about this is like all this stuff. It's just a different format 
of the face-to-face, kneecap-to-kneecap human experience. And so you have to recognize that, you know, so like what you mentioned about cleaning your list, a lot of people don't want to let leads go. But if someone was face-to-face with you and you're talking to them and they clearly weren't paying attention, they clearly weren't interested, you know, they're in the corner of the room not looking at you, not responding to you, and you're just barking at them as a one-way broadcast and there's no response. That's why engagement is so high and important right now. That's why it's a buzzword. Engagement this, engage. You've got to get engagement. Engagement this, my engagement metrics. Da, da, da. Right? Like it's because it's right now I, I said something and you laughed, but you engaged with what I said to let me know almost like two fax machines or internet routers, if you remember the dial-up days, you know, like are talking <laughs> to each other. Right. What would the quality of relationship be like if I was just in a room Barking, 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 and you were in a corner, not looking at me, not nodding your head, not paying attention, not taking notes, and not caring that I was even there. So what's the quality of that relationship? It would not be a healthy relationship, people would assume. And that's why, like you're saying, if you keep your list clean, your email deliverability rates goes up. Because that's these, you know, if you if you use if I'm Gmail and you're coming to me, I need to make sure that your experience is good. And if I let you be preached to or barked at or given orders or offers by all these people that you are ignoring. You know, it's not the software's fault. It's that fundamental permission, that human interaction thing. So it's like what you're saying. You know, yeah. Messenger became I, really I love that so much. Yeah. That that metaphor is so perfect. Like, think about a real face-to-face interaction. And, yeah. and if it doesn't make sense there, it doesn't, it doesn't meet the uh, requirement in whatever medium you're in. And the same works for, like, like you do best in sales one-on-one, face-to-face, kneecap to kneecap, belly to belly, so to speak, right? You'll do the best. And then everything out of that is like if you convert 3 out of 10, 5 out of 10, 7 out of 10, 10 out of 10, whatever your conversion rate is, you will convert less if you take a step back and now it's like a web presentation or it's a phone sale or now you're sending them to a video sales letter or you're doing a webinar or, right, it's like, it's like a you can almost plot on a chart of, of diminishing conversion rates from one, one-on-one, face-to-face, kneecap to kneecap, maybe one-to-many face-to-face, I don't know, but then webinar, you know, over the phone. Like, it just, it just I don't know which one would be where in terms of, like, phone call versus webinar and that, but it is it's down, all the way down to sales letter. You know, you got video sales letter, and then you have sales letter at the bottom. And it's like, but they are more scalable. And that's where people, like, that's where the technology becomes really powerful is it allows you to scale more. You can't have 100,000 face-to-face, kneecap-to-kneecap conversations, but you can have 100,000 people show up to your webinar. You can't have 100,000 people come see you speak on the stage, right, unless you can get a big right. stadium, but you can get 100,000 people to go through your webinar funnel, you know, and that's where it's like yes. the thousands tell you what the millions will do, but it still all boils down to almost like an essential oil. What is the quality of that one-on-one interaction? And, um, and that's, I think, right. like you said, it's, it's a really good way to think about it. All this stuff is just a way for us to, to be cyborgs, to remember more than 150 names and faces. Now I got Facebook. I got thousands of people. You know, you and I have been friends. We didn't even remember. Like I think we chatted on Skype before, right? Like if it was just left up to our organic brains, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do this interview. <laughs> so like true. I think I gave you my Skype. I'm like I think I have your phone number. And then we saw we had a Skype chat history. Oh, thank goodness technology kept that record. Now I can scroll back and be like, oh right, I remember this now. I remember chat. You know, and that's that's all. That's what technology is doing. We're already cyborgs. The singularity event. <laughs> kind of already happened a little bit. It's just it's not, you know, it's not um, embedded in our skin yet. There's not a direct... No, you're so right. Try leaving your house without your phone and see how well you function. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are dependent on technology in our daily lives for sure. 
Yeah, it's already happened. It's already happened. We've yep. already become cyborgs. It's just a clumsy interface. I have to I have to take my thoughts and transform. I have to translate them through my thumbs into the screen. Yeah. Like <laughs> exactly. That's, that's it. Yeah. Right. That's why Elon Musk and these guys want to do the neural link. They just want to get past that, hook it right up to the brain. So, like you said, focusing on the bottleneck, things open up. Now, all of a sudden, you know, it becomes. Anyways, it's a totally different topic for a totally different call, but. I, I know we've been all some, over the place. <laughs> yeah, we have. And I think there's some real meat to this. This is a really good call. People probably want to listen to this again and again. If you didn't take notes, go back, listen to it again, take some notes. Cause I think that not only were there good fundamentals in place, there are good tips and tricks, refreshers for everybody, things to manage yourself. So you're more effective ways to manage your business. So your business is more effective. Um, I just think it's been a really good call. Chad, was there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, I don't want to keep people any longer. I think you've, we've touched on a little bit of everything, and that's great. Mm. So people want to reach out. They want to get in touch. If they want your help to talk about automating or setting up the reporting dashboard for the company, or if they want to talk to you about have, having them help with, uh, work with them and a developer, how do they get in touch? Just go to my website. That's the best starting jumping-off point to reach me. It's at autogration.co, C-O. So that's auto, like automation, and gration, like integration. Got it. So autogration, A-U-T-O-G-R-A-T-I-O-N dot C-O. Right. And right now, if, if you go there on the top, there's a button. If you click it, if you're just starting out as an entrepreneur and you don't have a good lead tracking system and a back-end CRM of any type, I've, I've got a free little tool that you might want to check out that you can Ooh. deploy to do that very thing. That's awesome. That's that's incredibly valuable. So go ahead and take a look at that. Um, once again, it is autogration.co. Chad, thank you so much for your time today. You've just really kind of walked your talk, and I really like who you are. I think we had a great conversation that will be very valuable for a lot of people. Um, appreciate you, man. I know you have other things going on, and I appreciate you coming and sharing with me and my, my listeners today. Oh, I appreciate the platform. Thanks so much, Daryl. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.